Good morning, you guys. Seems like, seems like I was just here like three weeks ago. And then it seems like I was here a year ago. And any word on Landon and getting any uh, success out there? Like a year ago, if I remember right, when I came here to speak on that Sunday morning when he was hunting, boom, he already had something. He already had a buck. All right. So I was wondering, yeah, I know. Well, I'm excited today to share a, a message I've never shared before, um, and I'll give you some scriptures if you're note takers, if you want to write down where we're going, kind of like the roadmap today. Um, I believe I don't need to, sh- to share or explain as much as read the scripture itself, because scripture teaches itself pretty much. Um, Hebrews 1, and then we'll hit a passage in Colossians 1, then we'll go to Mark 14, and then Philippians 2. But the majority of this message is from Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read the whole thing. And let's just go to God's word. So the message, if it could have a title, it would be um, God, Angels, and the Supremacy of Jesus, the Son. Capital S on Son. So let's go right to it. Do you have it up there? Awesome. Wow. Way to go, Colin. So Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And that's Hebrews 1. Um, So it begins, Hebrews was written in A.D. 62, approximately, and... um, it begins with God. 
than the sun, his authority, and a comparison, a very quick comparison of Jesus to angels regarding authority. Why? We're going to talk about that. Why does Hebrews start out like this? I find it interesting that the first uh, four words in the entire Bible, and we know that the sum of your word, God's word is truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 1, we'll go here, God. So it starts with God after he spoke. He spoke to the fathers. But first, there's not a consensus on who wrote Hebrews, but we know the Holy Spirit is the author, right? Because scripture is inspired. Second, the letter was written to encourage Jewish converts at the time. And remember, at this time when this was written, they were pretty new converts. You know, maybe a generation had gone by, or maybe they're just into that second generation where some of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection were still around, which is exciting just to think about, right? You know, descendants of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. What do you think they talked about at their their family gatherings? Um, Like Thanksgiving is coming up. Oh, man, it was so great when he appeared to us and he just taught from that mountain. Um, Second, um, the theme is pretty much Christ, their Messiah, and high priest. Uh, Hebrews talks a lot about the priesthood, and w- which we'll just touch on in a minute. But it's, uh, much is recorded with the assumption that the new believers were grounded in their understanding of the Levitical priesthood. In fact, the generation um, who received this letter, they had practiced sacrifices in the temple at Jerusalem, according to Levitical law. So this is the generation. These are the people that that this letter is written to. So there's an emphasis on the superiority of Christ's once and for all sacrifice over the practices of Judaism. And God provided, as we know, the perfect sacrifices for sins uh, for the people. Um, Jesus, the perfect high priest, offering better provisions through the new covenant, covenant, and this is the central message of Hebrews. Um, so back to the opening verses. So God spoke in the past. That, it sounds pretty simple, right? But we need to remember, God spoke. How did he speak? Through prophets, through the Old Testament. But this says in Hebrews 1, um, in many portions and in many ways. So interesting. what does it mean by portions? Well, portions, the Old Testament, it was written in 39 different books, Um, different historical times, of course, and locations over a period of approximately 1,800 years. So when it says portions, that gives you an understanding. Um, Also, the last days. You know, it says, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Jews understood this, last days, to mean the time when the Messiah would arrive. That was their understanding of last days. We, looking back to New Testament history, we understand last days to mean something else, right? When he returns, them, for them, it was the advent of Christ, the messianic prophecies, the fulfillment, starting with the advent of Christ. And then, in, uh, still in verse 2, um, he is whom he appointed heir of all things. Basically, all things will soon come under the control of the Son. So what does that mean, will? Isn't Jesus the sovereign authority and supreme God now? Yes, but he is not still controlling things on this earth. He's sovereign. That's one thing that kind of confuses us sometimes when we see so much evil in the world. Though God is sovereign over all the evil, he does not control the hearts of mankind, does he? 
Scripture tells us the heart of man is wicked and beyond cure. The only cure, sin is our problem, that's the root cause, the only cure is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So he's not going to force people to do what he wants, otherwise uh, we would all be puppets or robots. Uh, So God does not force us to love him, he gives us the choice. He doesn't force, though he wants everyone, Scripture teaches, he wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. Not everybody will. He's not going to force you. What kind of God would that be? To force submission, right? So there's another scripture I want to go to real quick. In Colossians 1, you know, there's Hebrews 1 refers to um, through the Son, he made the world, right? That's a pretty amazing statement right there about the deity of Jesus Christ. God spoke in the past through prophets, and then it says, in these last days, he's spoken through his son, through whom he made the world. Wow, let's go to Colossians 1 real quick. In verse 14, it's, or 13, starting in 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption, through, uh, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 14 Speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What does it say in Hebrews 1 that we just read? Um, And he is the radiance of his glory, verse 3, and the exact representation of his nature. So back to Colossians 1, verse 14, For by him all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. We leave out that we know through him, through Christ. In the beginning, God and uh, of course, Genesis 1, 26, 27, let us make man in our image. He says, let us. So the Holy Spirit was moving, ready to work in Genesis 1, first couple verses there. And by 1, 26, we've got, let us make man in our image. So back to created through him and for him, all things were created for the glory of God. And 17, Colossians 1, 17 He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Another translation says, he sustains all things. So he keeps this globe, this world on its axis. He sustains all things. Remember John the Baptist who testified to the deity of Christ? Remember John, his wording in uh, John chapter 1 about John the Baptist? He said, After me is coming one who is greater than I or has a higher status than I because he existed before me. Wrap your mind around that one. Here's John the Baptist sent out as a messenger of Christ. And he said, after me, in other words, someone who was born after me, I'm the messenger, I've been preparing the way, right? He came to prepare the way for Jesus. After me is coming one who has a higher status who is greater than me because he was born before me. That's in John chapter 1. So back to uh, that 
the couple of verses I want you to remember from Colossians 1, verse 15, he's in, he is the image of the invisible God. 16, by him all things were created. And 17, in him all things consist. Now back to Hebrews 1, when it talks about he, through, him, through Christ he made the world, the world can be translated ages. He created, he's the beginning of time, time. He is, time is, he does not, he's not limited by time. It's amazing. Uh, three weeks ago when I was here, we were talking about the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That pretty much includes everything, right? The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And then it talked about Jesus being the truth, the foundation, past, present, future. Um, so made the world, world ages, it refers to time, space, energy, and matter. That's the entire universe, isn't it? So when it says, through whom he made the world, he made all things. He created all things. And then finally, verse 5 here, just the first couple points here. Uh, verse 5, where it says, to, is this the right one? Um, he has inherited a more excellent name. Oh, wait a minute, did I jump ahead? Oh, it's still in verse 3, sorry. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here, I'm so excited. I love that, you know, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1, Genesis 1, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation 1, just some amazing, talk about the deity of Christ, because some people don't think he's God, right? Some people don't believe that he, some people will get into that another time. Um, so verse 3 Upholds, and upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification of sins, so this means after that, after, he, after his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, first of all, the right hand, a place of recognition, a place of power, a place of respect, a place of authority, the right hand of God. And then there's a significant meaning to seated. He sat down. Now remember who they're writing to, who this book is written to, the Hebrews, the new converts to Christianity. They're used to the Levitical law and the system of sacrifices in the temple. The high priest never sat down, right? His work was never done. They would go in, offer sacrifices, if he did it right, he wouldn't die. <laughs> he'd offer sacrifices, and then the next time he'd go in, offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people, because the people would keep sinning. He offered sacrifices, he'd go back. The next time he'd go into the temple, do everything according to the law, offer the sacrifices. So he went back. He wouldn't sit down. Why? His work was never done. But Jesus' work was done. We cannot do anything, anything, at all to get to a better level of, of heaven or righteousness. Why? Our righteousness is in Christ alone. Our faith is in Christ alone through his work. We're, we're, we're trusting in his finished work. So he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Whew. That's heavy. That's deep right there. don't have enough time to really dig into that and unpack that more, but I think you appreciate what that means. So what about the, these reference, references to all the angels, right? Um, in the beginning of Hebrews 1, it talks about Jesus being much better than the angels. Well, most of us know all that, but again, remember who this was written to. Um, Hebrews, let's flip over to the next page real quick. 
uh, Hebrews chapter 2. A couple verses that have to do with the Son, capital S, Son, Jesus, being made lower than the angels. So there's a reason Hebrews 1 is written in all the Old Testament uh, quotes and references in Hebrews 1. Verse 5, Hebrews 2, verse 5, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him, now he's talking about about Jesus, you have made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. So that's Jesus. Why is this? So during this time, remember this is within the time some eyewitnesses to the resurrection were still alive. And there was intense persecution. You know, this didn't this truth, all these people around saying Jesus is alive, that didn't go over well with the Jewish leaders, of course. Um, so there was intense persecution that was growing at that time. Some Jewish communities were tempted to um, avoid identifying with Jesus Christ for fear of their lives. So some of them were actually... Um, considering claiming that Jesus was an angel. So that's one of the explanations for why Hebrews 1 is written with the references to angels and then comparing, saying Jesus is above all things. The um, Qumran Messianic Jews, were, they dropped out of society, and their brand of Reformed Judaism included the worship of angels. Interesting. So the, the new, some of the new Jews, or the new Christians that were still Jews, they were struggling with this whole thing, so they were worshiping angels. So they wouldn't be persecuted for worshiping angels. They're spiritual beings, right? But if they were to come right out and say, Jesus is Lord, and he's alive, then there, of course, there would be some, some uh, blowback. Um, it's interesting, though. I think, I don't know if you guys remember in the, in the 80s, this uh, phase, I think that was during the time this TV show Touched by an Angel was on, and it, everything from Hallmark cards to little porcelain things to what television programs started coming up about angels. Do you remember that? The problem with something take, taking something seemingly innocent or good and talking about that, the problem is the church starts going, yeah, why not? And goes right along with that. So we're starting to kind of put angels up here. And, and, and so we need to be grounded in God's word. But there's a Jewish community that was evidently doing this, which explains why Hebrews started off the way it did. Or it's one of the explanations. Um, but this community even went so far as to claim that Michael, the archangel, had a higher status than the Messiah. Now you understand why Hebrews 1 is written the way it is. So let's go look at a couple of the uh, Old Testament references. I'm just going to mention them. Um, in verse 5, verse 5 where it says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That's Psalm 2.7. Um, then I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. S, capital S-O-N. Samuel 2.14. I think it's 2 Samuel 2.14. Um, verse 6 of Hebrews 1. 
Um, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. That's Psalm 97, 7. Uh, verse 7, and of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? That comes from Psalm 104, 4. Verse 8 and 9, where it talks about, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And uh, verse 9, uh, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. That's Psalm 46, 6 and 7, just they're referencing the Old Testament where God spoke about these things. Then verse 10 through 12 in Hebrews 1, you, Lord, laid the, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the, heaven, the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Verse 12, like a cloak, you will fold them up. They will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will not fail. The Old Testament has many verses that says God doesn't change. What does it say in Hebrews, um, is it 13? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So these are just some themes that are repeated and strengthened throughout the book of Hebrews. But of course, they're, they're pointing to a lot of Old Testament scriptures here. And then verse 13, um, but to which is the angel says, he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The actual verse is Psalm 110 verse 1, and it begins by saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. See, in Hebrews uh, 1.13, it leaves out the very beginning there, the Lord said to my Lord, but it does quote, sit at my right hand. Um, then verse 14, of course, are they not all ministering spirits? Angels are sent out to minister to us and for us, those who will inherit salvation. So that's the purpose of angels now, to minister to us and for us. So I get encouraged by that. <laughs> um, so Jesus said, some of the many expressions, I am the way, the truth, the life, the door, the shepherd, the bread of life, the son of man, capital M. And he, of course, in John 10, 30, he said, I and the father are one, okay? But some, to this day, some still doubt whether Jesus said he was God. And you kind of scratch your head and go, well, wait a minute, did he say, I am God, He's, he explained several times in the gospel, different gospels, he was here to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah, right? So he didn't directly say those words, but he said, I'm fulfilling these prophecies. And then he answered the Jews, I am he. Go over to Mark 14, if you have your Bibles. Mark 14, the end of last, uh, not, I don't think it's the last verse, but Mark 14, starting in verse 57. Because some will still say this. Jesus never said he was God. Wow, well, he claimed deity quite, a, quite often. I and the Father are one. I think they picked up stones to try to kill him at that point. But in verse, four, um, verse uh, 57 of Mark 14, this is when he had been arrested. He's before they're holding an illegal trial in the middle of the night. And all these people, several people are trying to, you know, confuse him or um, accuse him, not confuse him, accuse him. Um, verse 57 says, Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Verse 59, But not even then did their testimony agree. 
So think about this. You've got a handful of people trying to accuse Jesus, and they're accusing him of different things, but they didn't agree on this testimony, right, on these accusations. Let's just say there were three of them. There might have been six. There might have been four. But let's just say there were three. They couldn't agree on these accusations, what to say, right? Think about the hundreds of people that saw Jesus alive after the resurrection, and they were all agreeing on exactly what happened. And many of them were now understanding why it happened. So their stories lined up, but you can't get two or three guys trying to make up something about Christ and accuse him. They couldn't agree. I find that to be very interesting. Uh, Verse 60, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What, What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, or the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That's how he's going to return, by the way, and I don't think they're going to be fluffy clouds like we see here. It's going to be a whole different cloud of glory when he returns. Um, So that's a pretty strong statement right there, what Jesus just testified to. How did they respond? Verse 63, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? What did they think? The next verse, or yeah, verse 64, second part, they all condemned him to be deserving of death for what Jesus just said, for what he just testified to. And uh, Luke 22, it says, if you're the Christ, tell us. And Jesus said, even if I tell you, you won't believe me. But he told them, and that's how they responded. So Jesus called himself the Son of Man, often, in the Son of God. The first title emphasized his humanity. He took on flesh, the the mystery of the incarnation. The second, Son of God, his deity. He's the only person in history who was both God and man. Leaving heaven, he laid aside his divine glory and took upon himself the robe of humanness. So now let's go over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Actually, since it's really talking about humility, uh, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, this is before he came to earth, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So he was in the form of God, and then he took upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 
Therefore, verse 9, God also has highly exalted him. It, wouldn't it be enough if God exalted you? But God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When someone, someone that is not a believer, when someone cusses, why, why don't you think they say, oh, Buddha, ah, <laughs> oh, Confucius, ah, oh, Muhammad? No, they take the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because it's an insult on the very God who controls and sustains all things. And plus, we forget Jesus is the only God that is alive. God in the context of capital G, God. Jesus is the only God who is alive. None of the others are a threat. You can go and find their bones, their memorials somewhere in tombs around the world. But Jesus, tomb is still empty, isn't it? So I thought you'd appreciate that, going back and saying, wow, he did humble himself. He became like a man. But now who recognized his divine nature? Let's see. First of all, angels, God the Father, Satan and the demons knew. The disciples, Martha, I already said John the Baptist. After me comes one who is greater than I because he existed before me. We're still trying to grasp that one. But the angels, just one example. Luke 1, at Christ's birth, the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would bear a child and his name would be the Son of God. God the Father, when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, um, the Heavenly Father declared, remember, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Later, God affirmed it again to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when he said, listen to him, this is my Son, listen to him. He affirmed this same truth and instructed uh, the, apostles, the three disciples that were there. Satan and the demons, they know who God is. They believe they don't put their faith and trust in Jesus, but they believe they know who God is. Um, Satan challenged him to use, remember one of the temptations? Satan challenged Jesus to use his supernatural powers to bypass God's plan. And later in the same chapter, the demons saw Jesus and shrieked. That's in Luke 4. They said, you are the son of God. Remember Jesus said, be silent. wasn't his time to tell the world who he was yet at that time. The disciples one example, they saw Jesus walking on the water, right? In the midst of that storm, they worshiped him and concluded he was the son of God. That's in Matthew 14. Peter, of course, Peter's famous, famous when Jesus said, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Martha, when Jesus went after four days, Lazarus was in the tomb. And she, she said, um, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who was to come into the world meaning now you're here. No one, else, no one else has victory over death or could beat death. So since Jesus lived on this earth and took upon him flesh, humanity, he understands our weaknesses. That's one of the amazing things about our God. We have a personal God who knows our struggles, who sees the pain and what we deal with. He understands and he cares. Um, Hebrews 4, 
says, uh, starting verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And then it says, for we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Not only do we have this personal God that saved us, that sacrificed himself for us, he cares, he understands, and he can relate to our, our need. Plus, he says from his throne, come on, approach. Think about the kings in the old days through world history. Think about the kings who people were knocking their knees, shaking in, in a king's presence to even think about approaching, right? What does Jesus say? Come boldly. Come and receive. Mercy, grace, I love you. Thank you for recognizing me. Come forward. Come and receive. Remember um, in Hebrews 1.3 when it says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of power. He sat down, declaring as he declared on the cross, it is finished. So Hebrews 2.2 I'm going to end with this, just encouraging us not to neglect so precious a salvation that we have, the only true and living God who died for us, who gave his, his, himself for us. Hebrews 2, verse 2 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Do not neglect such a precious salvation. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. So again, the Son, appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world, God made the world through the Son. And the Son has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And remember what it said in verse 8, Hebrews 1 verse 8. But of the Son, he says, who's he? God but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Can we trust him with this short temporary life? Can we trust him with our lives? Wow, yes, 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 Lord, yes, Lord. I trust you. So I hope you're encouraged today just by understanding uh, the deity of Christ, his divine nature, what he did, what he gave up, what he did for us, the plan of God from the beginning for Jesus to save us. He's the only answer for the problems in this world, the only answer for the sin, which is mankind's greatest need, deliverance, forgiveness. And thank God for repentance. Thank God for sanctification. And that's the process that we're in right now, hopefully being sanctified, set apart in this world. And he is returning on that cloud of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for your truth. Thank you that we have something that we can stand on that is eternal. And the hope that we have is an anchor to our soul in these tumultuous times. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in this country, this culture, no matter what happens in our city, we know that you are the unshakable God and you are never changing. And thank you for the truth of those words that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, God, Alpha, Omega, beginning and the end. Thank you for creating us in this time, for such a time as this, for giving us purpose and meaning because we love you, because we have come to you, because we trust in you for our lives, not just this short life, but for eternity. We thank you for that promise that this is not all there is. We praise you, Lord. We ask that you'd make us messengers of your truth as we go out into this world. And we thank you that this is not our eternal home, but that we are here to share your love and to share your truth and help us continue to build on this foundation of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me conclude with one of these. This is great that you guys have these up here, Steve. Um, Hebrews 13 now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.